0: But this morning, I want to invite you to join me in the first book of the New Testament, in the first chapter, that would be the book of Matthew, and chapter 1, and I'm going to be in reading in verse 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, that's, that's fine, we'll have the uh, scriptures on uh, the screen there. But follow along with me, if you would, please, beginning in Matthew chapter 1. And verse one. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Fairies of Zara of Famar and Ferris begat Eshram, and Eshram begat Aram. And Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nason and Nahasun begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias, And Solomon begat Reboam. And Reboam begat Abiah. And Abiah begat Asa. And Asa begat Josaphat. And Josaphat begat Joram. And Joram begat Ozias. And Ozias begat Joatham. And Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Manassas, and Manassas begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias, and Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon... Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begat Abiad, and Abiad begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadek, and Sadek begat Acham, and Acham begat Eliad, and Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Methan and Methan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Okay, if you're still awake, nudge the person next to you who's not and wake them up. Now be honest. How many of you kind of zoned out right there? All right, fair enough. Thank you for being honest. How many of you, when you... Come to lists like this when you're reading through your Bible and you come to a list like this. You, I mean, the best you do is skim over it if you don't just skip it all together. Be honest. And you call yourself Christians. (laughs) All in. Come on. No, I'm kidding. Listen, I I don't know about you, uh, but personally I'm not into genealogies. Uh, I'm not into my own, so I'm certainly not into yours. And I'll be real honest with you, I saw all I needed to see at our last family reunion. (laughs) Some of you are probably sitting here thinking, you know, I had Thanksgiving with the fam, and driving home, I'm thinking, yeah, they're a little shady. We all have those in our family. But it would would it surprise you this morning if I told you that the family tree of Jesus is a bit shady itself. Yeah, thus the title this morning, A Shady Christmas Tree. A Shady Christmas Tree. And I know that it probably doesn't appear to be the case. And I can't do all of, all of that list that I just read to you. I can't do it justice in just one sitting. And it doesn't appear to be the case to most, but there is a ton, listen, a ton of significant historical and doctrinal and practical information in those verses that I just read to you. So we're going we're gonna to tackle a little bit this morning. Let's start here. Jesus' family tree is historically significant. Now, I don't want to get all bogged down uh, in the historical details, but I do think it's important that we understand the significance of this genealogy of Matthew. And also the one that Luke records over in Luke chapter 3, though we'll not read it. uh, I will make reference to it here in a moment. Genealogies were important in in the days of the Bible for several reasons. First, they were important with respect to claims on land. Uh, If you remember when the Israelites uh, entered the uh, promised land, that the Lord had Joshua divided into different parcels, giving parts of the land to each of the, the tribes of Israel. So in order to prove you had a right to a particular piece of land, then you had to know your genealogy. You had to be able to prove that you were a descendant of such and such a person, and thus a member of whatever tribe of Israel you were claiming to be a member of. Secondly, your ancestry determined your right of inheritance. If a person said that he had a right to property, or crops, or material possessions from a deceased relative, then the validity of such claims had to be determined by the genealogies of all who were involved. Thirdly, in Israel, genealogy established the basis of taxation. And finally, and really most important, any claim to priesthood or to royalty had to be verified by way of genealogy. So here's what that means this morning. If Jesus was going to be recognized as the Messiah, if he was going to cl- come and claim that he was the anointed one, that he was the Messiah that Israel had been waiting for for so long, then he had to prove that he was from the line of David. And that is what Matthew and Luke do in their genealogies they clearly demonstrate that Jesus was in every sense a descendant of David the scribes and or excuse me the Pharisees and Sadducees did everything they could to discredit Jesus As he came and claimed to be God in the flesh and came and claimed to be the anointed one, the Messiah. They did everything they could to discredit him. But all they would have had to do was go to his genealogy and prove... That he was not of the line of David, and therefore could not be the Messiah. But read your New Testament, and here's what you'll find. They never did that one time. You know why? Because they couldn't. They had read the genealogy. They knew it well. And they knew that that was one argument that they could not use, because they knew that Jesus was of of the line of King David. And others must have known that as well, or maybe they did their own study, or word got out. Because if you remember on Palm Sunday, as, as people lined the streets, and they were waving the palm branches, and they cast their coats uh, before Jesus, they cried out, Hosanna, the son of David. And so they knew that he was in the line of David. Now I mentioned Luke's genealogy. There are some Bible critics who like to point to the fact that the genealogy of Matthew and the one from Luke are not the same. Therefore the Bible contradicts itself and therefore it must not be the Word of God. But actually... These two genealogies do not contradict each other at all. Because what we have in Matthew and what we have in Luke are are not two divergent versions of the same tree. What we have are literally two family trees. There is the family tree of of Mary and and the family tree of Joseph. And that's not unusual because we all have two family trees. We have a maternal tree and we have a paternal tree, and Jesus is no different. Now, I hope you'll stay with me uh, because I want to try and explain one more important aspect of of these two family trees that proves that Jesus did indeed have a legitimate claim to the throne of David. And it's really amazing how all of this comes together. Stay with me. Through his mother, Mary, Jesus was a blood descendant of King David. And since Joseph was not his physical father, and I'll approach that uh, here in a moment, he was not his physical father, really what we would consider an adoptive father, Then through him, that is through Joseph, Jesus received the legal right to the throne. And here's why that's important. Had Jesus been born Joseph's physical son? That is, had Jesus been conceived as the the result of the physical union of Joseph and Mary then he would not have been in the line for David's throne. And here's why. One of those that, that we read about in verses 11 and 12 of Matthew chapter 1, one of the names that we read was the name Jeconias. Jeconias, or Jeconia, as it appears in the Old Testament, was a wicked king. And God declared in the Old Testament, that no one from the line of Jeconias would ever be permitted to sit on the throne of David. So, if Jesus had been the physical son of Joseph, he could not have been the Messiah because that would have put him in the line of Jeconias. But as his adopted son, uh, the adopted son of Joseph, Jesus was able to inherit the legal right to the throne. So in short, here's what we know this morning. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King, legally through Joseph and naturally through Mary. So from every possible perspective, we can crown him king of kings and lord of lords. So Jesus' family tree is historically significant. And there's much more in there. Uh, but I didn't want to get all bogged down in it. But it's, it, it's historically significant. But also, and, and, and I know when you read this, we, we tend to lose sight of this, but I want to bring this out this morning. It's also doctrinally important. Those names that we read there, what we read is doctrinally important. All throughout that list of names, we, we saw the word begat. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. The word begat means fathered so-and-so fathered so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so fathered so-and-so. And you read that all throughout this genealogy until, listen to this, until you come to verse 16. Look at verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, and you would expect at this point to read... That Joseph begat Jesus. You'll read that. Here's what you read And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. That tells us this morning that Jesus had an earthly mother, but he didn't have an earthly father. He had a heavenly father. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost, and that's what we know as the all-important doctrine of the virgin birth. You say, well, preacher, why is that important? If Jesus Christ... We were not born of a virgin, then that means he would have had a human father. And had Jesus had a human father, then he would have had the nature of that human father. We know that the nature of the human father is a nature of sin. That started way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam. Everybody since Adam has been born with a sin nature for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that man was Adam. And everyone since Adam has been born with a sin nature, including Joseph. And had Joseph been the physical father of Jesus, then he would have passed to Jesus that sinful nature which would have made Jesus a sinner in need of a Savior. And if Jesus was a sinner in need of a Savior, then he couldn't have been a Savior himself. And so understand this this morning. If you deny the virgin birth, then you paralyze the whole scheme of redemption by Jesus Christ. And let me add this. Although Mary descended from the royal line of David, let's be clear this morning, she was not immaculately conceived. That is, she was not born like Jesus was born, without sin. Mary was as much a sinner as every human being Who has ever been born. She may have been very moral. She may have been very spiritual. But she was not sinless. Mary needed to be saved. And therefore could not be a savior. As some believe and teach. It it just can't be. There's no biblical proof of that at all. And so this otherwise insignificant, unimportant listing of Christ's family tree is both historically significant and it's doctrinally important. But here's here's the real eye-opener this morning. You ready? It's also morally corrupt. The family tree of the Savior of all of mankind is morally corrupt. One of the most amazing things about this list of names is that it includes some of the most shady, sinful people in all of the world, in all of the Bible. I'm talking about liars, and murderers, and adulterers, and idolaters, and prostitutes, right on down the line. Take Abraham, for example, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If you know anything about Abraham's life, then you know that because of fear and a lack of faith that he lied twice about his wife being his wife, saying that she was his sister. That not only brought... Shame upon Sarah and upon Abraham itself, himself, but it also brought shame upon God. Abraham was a liar. And then there's David. At a time when kings were supposed to go out to battle, David didn't go. He stayed behind. He just sent his men. One night as he was getting some fresh air, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. We know her as Bathsheba. She's not mentioned by name, but in verse 6, she's called the wife of Urias. We know that that's Bathsheba. And because David was king, and because he couldn't control his lust, he sent for her. And his men brought Bathsheba to him. And he committed adultery with her. And when David found out that that act of adultery resulted in a child that was his he devised a plan whereby Uriah which is the Old Testament name for Urias where U, Uriah the husband of the rightful husband of Bathsheba David devised a plan that would get him killed and he died And so David was not only an adulterer, David was a murderer. You with me? We're talking about the family tree of the Savior of the world. Another shady character in Jesus' family tree was a woman named Tamar. Tamar was the wife of a man named, or excuse me, she was the wife of one of the sons of a man named Judah. Her husband died before he could father children. And so as it was in in those days, it then fell upon the next oldest brother to marry her and to give her children. That brother's name was Onan. And though he didn't want to, Onan begrudgingly married Tamar. But he didn't want to have kids. And so he did something, and I'll not say what he did, because it's pretty graphic. We have young people in here this morning. You can read about that on your own. But I will tell you this. What he did didn't please God. And God killed him. So now, Judah's down two sons. And he only had three. And by this time... Judah's thinking that somehow Tamar is cursed, and he doesn't want to lose his third son. And so he delays the marriage between his third son and Tamar. And as time went on, Tamar finally realized what Judah was doing. And so she devised her own plan. It seems that Judah had a real temptation for prostitutes. And so Tamar disguised herself. She dressed up as a prostitute. And she lured her own father-in-law into a sexual relationship with her. After about three months, she started showing. Let me just throw this in there. She was pregnant with twins. She started showing. So now, Judah says, now I've got my opportunity to get rid of this woman once and for all. She deserves to be stoned. She's been immoral. She's committed a fornication. She doesn't deserve to live. And so, as, as they're dragging her out, getting ready to stone her, she holds up a belt. And she says, This belt belongs to the man who's fathered these babies. And that belt belonged to Judah. Her father in law. Now, is that a messed up story or what? Huh? And you thought the Bible was boring. So, Abraham was a liar, David was an adulterer and a murderer, Tamar was incestuous. And I don't know about you, but my family tree is looking better by the minute. (laughs) Matthew also includes some other names. He includes a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. And he mentions a woman by the name of Ruth who was a Moabite. You know who the Moabites were? They were a tribe of people who came into existence because of the incestuous relationship between Lot and his two daughters. And there are others that I could point out, but I'll stop there. Now, someone may be thinking, well, Pastor, why in the world... Are these people included? And here here would be my answer to you. The Holy Spirit had Matthew include these people that led up to Jesus to show you and I in 2018 that it doesn't matter who we are or what we've done That we can be part of the line that leads from Jesus. Did you get that? No listen. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been or, 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 or what has been done to you. Listen this morning. You can be a child of God. You can be born into his family today. Oh, but, but, but pastor, you just don't understand. My, my life is messed up. My family is messed up. My marriage is messed up. No, 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 no. You don't understand. Jesus can take your mess and turn it into a message. Amen. He can take your mess. It doesn't matter how messy it is. I'm telling you, by His grace, He can turn it into a message. Look around you this morning. All over this auditorium are stories. Listen, I know these people. And I know their stories. And some are not unlike the stories that I just read to you. Others would be stories of different lives lived, of different deeds done. But I'll tell you this they all have one thing in common, and that's the end of their story. When they finished explaining to you where they've been and what they've done and what's been done to them. All their stories would all culminate in something like this. Then I learned about Jesus. And how he loved me. And how he died for me. And how he's willing to forgive me of my sin. And save me. And let me be a part of his family. When I learned that, I wanted that. And so I humbled my heart and I cried out to God. And God saved me that day. And my life has never been the same. Oh yeah, there are a lot of stories here today. But for those that are saved, their story ends that way. What does the family tree of Jesus teach us? It teaches us about the grace of God. That God can forgive anything. And their story can be your story. In every messy shady story leading up to the time of Christ's birth I'm talking David Abraham Tamar Ruth Rahab on and on down the list every messy shady story leading up to Christ's birth in every one of those God was at work in the ugliest situations bringing forth His most beautiful Son. And so here's the takeaway today. In Christ, He can take the ugliness of your life and redeem it for the beauty of His glory. Look at it again. In Christ, He can take the ugliness of your life And redeem it for the beauty of His glory. As we prepare for our time of invitation today, let me say this. The message today has been for three groups of people. First of all, it's been for those who don't know Jesus. Listen, He wants you to know Him today. Not just know about him. There are a lot of people that know about Jesus, but he wants you to know him personally as your Lord and Savior. All you have to do is call on his name. And we would love, love to help you make that decision today. Secondly, it was for those who know Jesus. Quite honestly, right now, you're not living that way. You're not living that way publicly. You're not living that way privately. It doesn't reflect in your language. It doesn't reflect in your habits. It doesn't reflect in your relationships. The honest truth is this morning, there's just not a lot about your life right now that reflects Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. And if you're honest, you'd probably say this, Pastor, I have really, I have really made a mess of my life. Well, I'm here to tell you today, it can't be any more messy than Tamar or David or Abraham, or Rahab. It may be messy. But listen, it's not too messy for Jesus. And you go home and read Psalm 51 today, and here's what you'll find. David, re- God restored David to a place of honor and fellowship. And it doesn't matter today how messed up you've what kind of mess you've created because you've walked away from Jesus, He can clean it up and He can make it right. And then thirdly today, it was for those who know Jesus and to the best of their ability, they're living for Him every day. But life's just hard right now. Life's hard. Listen to me today. God is moving you toward a greater goal. He knows where he's taken you. And though you listen, though you may not see him right now, he's never taken his eyes off of you. Not one moment. Not one moment. So trust him. Can I encourage you today, just trust Him with all of your heart. And don't try to figure it all out with your limited understanding. Acknowledge Him as Solomon said in Proverbs. And here's the promise, He will direct your path.